Smartcast. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hold on to your butts. We are changing the course of history as we see it. That is what Wesker demands. Now this affects Iris. Um, Iris, where are you? What you feel only matters to you. I do not entertain hypotheticals. The world as it is is vexing enough. Iris, I have a tip for you. Don't take drugs! Or whatever movies with Wesley and Iris. What up and welcome to Or Whatever Movies. I'm your co-host, Iris, and I am here with my older brother. Wesley. I don't know. That was supposed to be like refined. Refined. Yeah, like first class gentleman. (laughs) Or like that faux British American thing that people did at like turn of the century. Yeah, I can't decide if it was old money or new money. (laughs) And today we're talking a movie. Oh, man. The culmination of James Cameron month. The moment that I have been waiting for, because we're talking... Iris's favorite movie of all time. That's right. (laughs) Titanic. No surprises here. We know what Iris's uh, rating is going to be. Yeah, I'll just say right out of the top, it's a totally... (laughs) I mean, a totally from you and a good from me. All right. So as we always do with the big movies, the favorites, the the ones we know we're just going to like gush over, I'm definitely doing the trivia for this one. Okay. I'm going to do off-topic ones. Okay. What is Titanic's official MPAA rating? PG-13. Man, that is correct. And boy, I'm going to argue this is the hardest PG-13 rating in all of cinema (laughs) history. Really? Why? Because all of the bodies being flung off a ship? Thousand people died. Most of them (laughs) on screen. (laughs) I mean, there was no blood and gore. There was. was no murder. Tommy's blood ran across the deck right before the the crew member who inadvertently oh. shot him, then shot himself and tumbled into the water. That's true, Mr. Murdoch. Most of those deaths were on screen. Multiple dead kids, tons of swearing, considerable nudity, sex, suicide, murder, Titanic, PG-13. <laughs> now, why is this? Is it because they were swept away with the romance and the glory of it? It has been preserved by the National Film Registry as being aesthetically or culturally significant. And were people just so carried away? They were like, yeah, it's got all that stuff, but we were blinded by love and Titanic. I think they just wrote it all off as natural disaster. I that guess. Those were part and parcel of an act of God. <laughs> 
<laughs> and therefore natural. Cora, Jack's best girl, died. We have to assume. Never saw her. We don't. And there's that floating body in the uh, in the grand staircase. That's pretty eerie uh, and sad yep. and morbid. More morbid than the lady holding the baby? Oh, the frozen lady with yeah. the baby? What happened to we, Cal's we baby? Took too long. He like got his baby to get him through onto the lifeboat and then he was like, He'll swamp us and he's like standing aboard the thing and like punching people with the oar. Like, what happened to that baby? <laughs> yeah. And Rose is like, It's getting quiet. Yeah, because all the kids are dead. <laughs> oh man. Okay. This one I'm gonna disagree with. Who speaks the first and last lines of the movie? Brock Lovett. Man. The famous Bill Paxson, rest in peace. Do you want to hear this story or not, Mr. Lovett? I'm going to disagree, though, because I think even after he says, never let it in, in his Bill Paxton way, then mm -hmm. Gloria Stewart goes up to the railing and goes, ah, as she throws the heart of the ocean into the sea. I don't know that that counts. A dialogue it's attributed kind of more like to a Gloria squeak. Stewart. It's like, ah. So it still makes me mad. A quarter of a century later, I'm like, that necklace had no emotional connection to you or Jack. It didn't benefit your family in any way. Why wouldn't you give it to him? Why wouldn't you split the profits with him? Well, let's talk about this. I mean, yes, it would have been nice to have found the diamond and to reap those rewards. But his coming to terms and her getting rid of it was the symbolic action of stating once and for all that it was never about the diamond. Yeah, love makes you do dumb things. <laughs> now, don't get me wrong. It makes me mad. <laughs> like, it's very, very impractical. Um, there are so many other uses for that. But I can get behind Old Rose's personal decision to do with as she will as her with her personal property okay <laughs> how did titanic predict the future of 20th century fox the its production company being acquired by disney how did it predict it yep i'm i'm confident the production of this movie involved time travel you give up okay it's a movie yeah you stop right? me and how do you get into a movie you buy a ticket? Yeah. How did Jack and Fabrizio get their tickets for Titanic? Through a lucky hand of poker. One from Olaf and Sven. <laughs> In another you know... movie about freezing <laughs> stuff. Okay. How many times did I see Titanic in theaters? Ooh, good question. I'm going to guess less than me because I saw it seven, maybe eight times. Five? Five? Very close. Six times. All right. Uh, Kate Good Winslet job, Wes. has admitted over the years in interview that she is no fan of Celine Dion's My Heart Will Go On. Every time this movie ended, I would position myself to be able to leave the theater before the actual song started, the lyrics started. Oh, oh, the credits song. Yep. But yes, the answer is six Man. and seven if you include the 3D re-release on the 100th anniversary. April 2022, in which we are recording this episode, being, of course, the 110th anniversary to the month of the sinking of Titanic. 110 years to the month. Incredible. And again, this movie, a quarter of a century old already in itself. Ten years past its re-release even. Titanic is old. I was struck in watching this movie critically at how young Leonardo DiCaprio and Kate Winslet are, not only as actors, right, but they're kids. Like, I was like, they behave like kids. 
They look like kids, which is crazy to me because when I saw this in 1997, I was a kid. I was younger than them, or or I guess I was technically their characters' ages, even if the actors themselves were a little older. And I thought they were so old and so mature and off on their great grand adult adventure. <laughs> and now I look at them as kids and it's a trip. Very strange. I'm going to argue that they look both exactly appropriate as Rose and Jack as they do in their current iteration because we've seen them so much. He does mm -hmm. look young, but he also looks just like Leonardo DiCaprio. Like he looks mm -hmm. young, but he doesn't look wrong, except when she cuts him loose after he's, you know, chained down there and then they get through the I gate. I know exactly right? the moment you're talking yeah. about. When he climbs the stairs in that puffy shirt <laughs> and he looks. That's all stuck to his little scrawny body. Awfully scrawny. <laughs> he looks particularly like wet cat pathetic in that moment. <laughs> yeah. And <laughs> I've always thought that that's so funny you bring it up. He went into a seclusion for a year after this movie, couldn't handle the attention. And then when he came back, really his first movie back after Titanic was The Beach. And he had gotten considerably mm -hmm. harder looking and kind of yoked. And he always tried to beef up to, to escape this little good looking little boy image. I think technically the the next film was was Man in the Iron Mask, but that was probably filmed around the same time or or even before Titanic. Yeah, it was just kind of his emergence. Also, he was all covered up in that one, and he was definitely mm. not covered up in the beach. That was Danny Boyle. Uh huh. And Alex Garland. And Who, Alex Garland penned the script, right? Yeah, but he's become a filmmaker in his own right, and Danny he, and they did multiple films together as well. I mean, a great departure for Leonardo DiCaprio after Titanic. I mean, yes, Leonardo DiCaprio and Kate Winslet, they just shot to superstardom, right? And that's a lot for 21, 22-year-olds. Yep. A lot. And remain great friends. Um, would you agree? Because uh, they've been voted multiple times as the couple with the most chemistry in movie history. Hmm. I don't know about that. I think they've got great chemistry. I mean, they do both look back on their performances now, apparently, and kind of laugh about it. They don't think they did a very good job. Uh, <laughs> Kate Winslet said her American accent, accent was pretty bad. And Leonardo DiCaprio was like, I was a young punk in that movie. They're both kind of embarrassed by it. They both had bad accents in this movie. Her, But I excused her bad, quote, American accent because in in that time, I think, in, in high society, it was fashionable to have like a faux European accent. Now, <laughs> it's a complete other story with Leonardo DiCaprio's like, I lit on out of there and never looked back. It's like, you reckon blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, oh, that just does not sound right coming out of LA native Leonardo DiCaprio's mouth. Yeah, that kind of live by my wits, ma'am kind of vibe. <laughs> yeah, just kind of unnatural. But I think their chemistry is, is great. I think it's great. I wouldn't say it's the best. They get pretty raunchy in Revolutionary Road, their reunion film. I guess they have a different kind of chemistry there. Yeah, kind of gross. Whereas here, it's all Romeo and Juliet, like hot but innocent. Yeah, literally the pitch, Romeo and Juliet on the Titanic. I mean, makes sense, right? Absolutely. No, these are classic stories that I'm sure, you know, there was much hesitation because this is before James Cameron could defy expectations. Did Terminator 2 go a little bit over budget? Maybe, but nothing like Titanic. Do you remember mm. hearing about the troubled production of Titanic at the time? <laughs> kind of. I wasn't really following. I wasn't tracking, but it was big news. I think there was like a weekly column in one of the trades 
that was like chronicling the debacle that was Titanic. I think at one point Entertainment Weekly did a series of predictions, projections for movies to be released and how it was going. And their rating scale was like ship shape or sinking fast or whatever. And it had a little graphic <laughs> of a boat, either afloat oh, no. or half sinking or totally underwater. And then they Ooh, applied that that ouch. exact rating system to Titanic, and it was it was on its way down because you know the Eek. production was ballooning from 135 to 200 million, all this crazy stuff. They said you know with its considerable runtime, there's it's already been delayed from summer to Christmas. There's no way this movie can survive and recoup its budget. They anticipated a hundred million dollar loss on Titanic. Wow, man. Well. Proved them all wrong. Right? Yeah, I think that if all the craziness was on my radar, then it was forgotten the moment I entered into that theater because I was primed and ready. The ideal target audience for Titanic completely wrapped up and obsessed with this film. Yep. We talked about, long talked about the influential age. And you were not only 17, give or take, right? But the same age as the Rose character. Correct. When, in fact, Kate Winslet was 21. Legend has it they were freezing, they were miserable, they were in one of the water tanks, and she was like, it's my 21st birthday today. And Leonardo DiCaprio was <laughs> like, I don't care. Didn't she almost drown? They never really felt like in real danger because it was heavily controlled and there were safety divers, and of course they were in a tank. But she did say that someone would have to pay her an awful lot of money before she would work with James Cameron again. Well, I guess they're doing that. I yep. guess she's getting paid. You know why? Because James Cameron has an awful lot of money to get her into Avatar 2. Can't wait to see it. I want it to bonk me over the head with goodness. <laughs> yeah. Available now or whatever movies.com. So <laughs> Titanic, the movie budgeted at 135, came in over $200 million in budget. What was the actual building cost of the Titanic in 1997 Ooh. dollars? This, not the set, the actual ship from the 1900s. The actual Titanic, in all its glory, the ship built in 1912, began building I have in no 1912, idea. $150 million. What? The movie Titanic cost more than it did to build the Titanic. Adjusted for inflation, $150 million? Yep. That's insane. Bruce Ismay, man. As much as he's villainized in this, what a visionary. I mean, look. It was chaos. And in retrospect, sure, you could feel some guilt and stuff. Did women and children die? Absolutely. But at that time, they were loading passengers, and the guy was like, hey, anybody else? And Bruce just hopped in there. And Would you have done it? I, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> Without shame? Well, I mean, no, I would. he couldn't look at the wreckage. The real-life Bruce Ismay couldn't look. And in the movie, he averted his eyes. But when it comes down to it, if there's a spot on the boat, that captain, that guard guy should have jumped in as well. Mm. Because, look, the movie was well lit and you could see people running around and screaming and everything and things were chaos. And there's a boat on the other side letting men on, you know, and, and but still at the time it must have been utter chaos. And once those yeah. lights go out, you're in pitch blackness. Nobody to, to steer the ship, you know, pun intended. Ugh. You do what you got to do. I, I said that in our review of Titanic, I would reveal my my survival scenario because I definitely would have survived. Uh, lifeboat or no lifeboat. What would you have done? 
This is going to be controversial, but it's going to be still going to be PG-13. Hard PG-13? Yeah, exactly. It's Titanic level PG-13. So you go into the water one way or another. And what they did was correct. You tie the boats together. You transfer as many people into that existing raft of boats as possible. And then you go back and get as many people as you can, right? That should have been first and foremost. Once the boat goes down, little Jack in steerage knows that now that, you know, the ship's going to suck them down and they had to avoid the suction. But now that that's gone, they're going to be coming back for us. And they didn't for hours. And she's all like, Josephine, my flying machine. And everybody's dying. And they're chilling over there like 20 feet away. So what you do is you get everybody together and you quell the hysteria by getting everybody together. You all hang on to each other's life vests and you create a floating raft of people. And then you use that body heat and insulation to stay warm, periodically shifting people from the inside of the circle to the outside of the circle. Would it have worked? I don't know. Would less people have died? Maybe. But it certainly would have calmed everyone down. There would have been a sense of community, of safety, of solidarity or whatever. And failing that, going down, you know, uh, you make your own luck, right? And he's got his money. Hockney's got his money and, and the other guy has his pistol. So you grab carving knives from the kitchen and all those bodies in the water that aren't quite frozen yet. You cut those people open like a tauntaun in Star Wars and you climb inside the carcass. <laughs> I mean, he did it in The Revenant, spoiler. Why couldn't Jack have done that in Titanic? You just make yourself a suit of people and you insulate yourself until help comes. Wow. So not only is the floating island of survivors on top of a floating island of dead bodies, but now you're suggesting that you desecrate the dead bodies and use them as coats? That's correct. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. That's gruesome. I mean, there are stories about the Titanic. You know, the, remember the guy where they're at the stern of the ship or whatever it is that goes down? Jack, this wow. is where we first met. The guy yep. in, the, in the life jacket who pulls out that flask. Uh-huh. He was the head baker who legendarily got so hammered that he stayed calm throughout the sinking of the Titanic and survived because he wasn't flailing around or freaking out and was uh, pulled out. And the only thing he suffered was swollen feet. Whoa, the head baker was one of six people retrieved from the water? Yeah, actually it turned out to be about 40 people, but yes. Whoa, that head baker and the blonde-haired chick? Aw, Fabrizio's little girlfriend from Steerage? Was that her? Yeah. The one hanging off the... Yeah, he said, is it okay if I put my hand here? And they went dancing away and that stuff. That was her. Yeah, and it all comes around like that. Man, yeah, it really does. And they had that moment of connection, which always felt so palpable to me. And now I understand all these wonderful James Cameron-esque details that really bring life and dimensionality to a scene, right? Like, they're in it together, but they're also on their own. And Rose is kind of looking out from the safety of Jack's care and trusting him implicitly, right? That's kind of their deal. He's the street smart, fast thinking, action oriented guy. And so she has this moment to like look out from under that cover and see these other people who are, oh my gosh. I'm wrapping up my questions. Go. So is this the highest grossing movie of all time? Well, it was. It was. For 
its time and for a long time. Until Avatar came along, also directed by James Cameron. Talking about pulling off a miracle, I mean, you never doubt James Cameron because he's going to go away for like a dozen years and come back and just kick your butt with new stuff, right? He did, he yep. he beat the success of the highest grossing movie of all time Titanic with Avatar and held that record until it was beaten by Avengers Endgame, but Titanic still holds the distinction of being the highest grossing movie of all time that actually won best picture. That's not a question. I didn't phrase it right. Oh, interesting. It's the highest grossing best picture winner. Correct. of all time. Interesting. How about that? Because Avatar, bested by The Hurt Locker, did not win Best Picture. Endgame, not even nominated. I mean, they're okay. They're fine. And of course, Disney owns all of that. (laughs) Yeah, not lost on me. And I think if you take the overall industry that Titanic spawned, its whole own like cottage industry... Titanic, the musical, and the immersive, interactive, immersive museum exhibit, ah, documentaries like the Back to the cereal. Titanic, Ghosts of the Abyss, like it's, <laughs> it's like what Karate Kid did to martial arts in the eighties, <laughs> like t- Titanic did for like deep sea exploration. Yeah, cultural phenomenon worldwide, and. It built into a fascination that people had already had about Titanic. I mean, to this day, we're still shooting TV sizzles for it and stuff. I think this is one, it's a little bit disaster heavy, but it has arguably as much death and destruction as Lord of the Rings, which apparently is a perennial favorite for a lot of people around the holidays. It requires an investment of emotion. It's kind of like two movies, and I'm perfectly fine with just watching the Jack and Rose story. Or just watching the disaster part. Oh, man. Because they fulfill two different kinds of emotional experiences for me. I mean, I agree. And I was going to bring that up. This decided shift in tone. I can't remember what the catalyst is. When when they're kissing on the deck and they hit the iceberg. I mean, Titanic supposes that Jack and Rose cause... They did. The ship to hit the iceberg. Literally did. They're watching them Mac down below, and he totally misses his cue. Smell ice, can you? Bleeding Christ. And then that dude is all, he, he not only causes the impact with the iceberg, he not only causes Titanic to sink, but causes the deaths of multiple survivors in the water. Because Molly Brown's all like, it's your men out there. And he's like, there's going to be one more if you don't shut that hole in your face. Well, you're making really crazy connections here. The the watchman was the was the mean guy on Molly Unsinkable <laughs> yeah. Molly Brown's ship. All of these are not just James Cameron, hey, we're keeping it all together here, but based on historical fact. That guy did no survive and you know way. Yeah, a lot a lot of the lines are accurate. If we've learned anything about James Cameron is that his painstaking attention to detail doesn't go overlooked when it comes to the vastly complex execution of movies like Titanic and Avatar. But Avatar was more of a CG heavy effects spectacle. And Titanic isn't as flashy, but boy, Titanic just feels so much bigger. I mean, there he's really pummeling these people with thousands of gallons of water. They destroyed that entire staircase set when they dumped all the water into it for the sinking scene. They demolished because they could wow. only do they could only do it one time. There's there's hundreds of people on screen at once screaming and running around and 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 that makes it 
palpable and terrifying. Like they had to do all kinds of strategic blocking so that people would be in the right place at the right time in these massive crowd scenes, not just on the boat just before it sinks, but in the course of the sinking and, you know, everybody going into the water. Just so much careful planning. It feels so real. Uh, a little bit dated now, 25 years on. There are CG shots that are questionable. Um, sure. I cringe every time she does the toe when she's like on point with the toe thing and the at the real party. Uh, it's just kind of silly. Even the the end when she's in heaven and she reunites with Jack. <laughs> I'm like, oh, but wow, that's really cheesy. Look, I'm going to venture to say she's not in hell, but she's underwater with the ghosts. And I think that her heart, when it departs her body, when she's dead at the end in the bed, presumably, was in the heart of the ocean. Rose is the heart of the ocean, and she throws her soul down, casts her soul down to be with the dead spirits aboard Titanic still. Because Jack sank, and he's waiting for her at the top of the staircase underwater. Wow. Morbid or beautiful? Yeah, I think it's (laughs) exactly. Kind of (laughs) hell. So she's definitely dead, right? Well, that's the theory. You're going to die an old lady warm in her bed. After riding on the beach on horses right in the surf. Exactly. Having lots of babies, presumably. She's going to ride the roller coaster and then, until she throws up. But <laughs> but there's there's definitely some awkward stuff. I cringe when they do all the period stuff. Like, what's the artist's name? Something Picasso? It will amount to nothing. Had... <laughs> I, I guarantee it. And it's like, ugh. And the Freud stuff and uh, how prescient Rose Passenger? Is. What's he, a passenger? Oh, man. It's a little bit awkward. Like, he doesn't have to choose, like, the most famous artist of all time. Of course it's difficult. We're women. Uh, Delivered by the amazing Frances Fisher. Yes. Who I thought was James Cameron's wife until I realized it was actually Susie Amos. Yep. It's just because she looks a little bit more age appropriate. (laughs) Maybe. Did they meet on Titanic? Yep. They met on Titanic. And he was respectful and gentlemanly and didn't ask her out until after that movie was over. Okay. Because he was still married to Linda Hamilton, who was doing Dante's Peak. Ooh. Even though they were supposedly estranged at that point. So we got Susie Amos and James Cameron. We got lifelong friendship between uh, Leonardo DiCaprio and Kate Winslet. But uh, Frances Fisher, this was her second and final best picture of the 90s. And the other being one of your favorites of all time. Yeah. What was her name? Like Bumbleberry or something? <laughs> Strawberry Alice. <laughs> In Unforgiven. Available now on orwhatamovies.com. But strangely more likable. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, she's a different kind of warden in Titanic. So Jack got arrested twice, both times orchestrated by who? Uh, the manservant, the undertaker the man of the manservant. Servant. You've seen this movie dozens of times. He was one of the sharpest, cleverest, most determined and focused characters. He was like the James Cameron of this movie. And that would be Lovejoy. <laughs> and he's completely forgotten about like, I was like, oh, yeah, I forgot about that dude when I rewatched the movie. And he's instrumental to the plot, has a full arc, you know, is is calculating and shrewd and everything. He even gets his death scene. We see his demise and stuff. I mean, at least presumably the ship splits right under him. That's right. Yep. And he and you see it in his face, the disbelief, the shock. Yeah, Lovejoy, love very instrumental. I'd say probably on par with Mr. Andrews and Mr. Murdoch. 
and James Cameron makes, he sees these things through. I think Titanic is a masterclass of deliberate pacing, uh, through lines, cohesion, execution, special effects, all that stuff. It's just, it goes, it works so well. We even have the establishing shot of the car that they bone in being lifted onto the ship at, at the beginning <laughs> right. of the movie. Yep, the car is planted and paid off. I think that car, wasn't all that stuff shot in reverse, so that car had like a like a reversed license plate and all that junk? Because they, uh, they wanted to show it being loaded correctly from the correct side onto which Titanic was loaded and stuff. I wasn't exactly sure why they weren't able to pull that off the other way if it wasn't a mistake or something, but whatever the case, however they did it, yes, they reversed all the signage down to buttons and stuff on people's clothing to, to represent it as it was accurately on screen. I mean, what a great set piece. The reveal of Titanic and the boarding and the introduction of all the characters and all the props and culminating with Rose's reveal from under the hat. So good. So well put together. We talked about scale in the other movies, Avatar in particular, which of course came way after Titanic. But the whole ship felt grand, expansive. It, of course, was a set, but it wasn't really a set. It was like it was built to like 19th, 20 scale. It was almost the same size as Titanic. So they were wow. really on board that ship, on board the sets. Everything feels Incredible. massive to me. I was wrong when I said in the abyss, man, they hit Ed Harris with that water coming down the hallway. They totally did mm. that with Leonardo. They washed him away. They hammered those people in the ship. There was one scene that was a miniature that looked fake to me, and that was when the doors get blown open. And so that was mm. a miniature shot, and that's the one that I was thinking of. But yeah, no punches mm -hmm. pulled on Titanic. The scale was incredible. I love the fact that he built the steam room. There were like so many of those pistons or turny things, and they did the same effect oh, that they did in Aliens, where they put a mirror behind it, so it makes it look like many more of those things are firing at the same time, even though it was a mirror oh, image. Um, yeah. The uh, they made the guys. They were all like five feet tall to make the engine room look much bigger than it was. The oh, set. That's hilarious. No <laughs> I just way. I love the attention to detail. It's so meticulous. And even he talks about the things that weren't exactly correct. He admitted that later findings revealed that's not how the computer simulation that Bodine goes through. That's not how the Titanic actually sank. We didn't talk about Bodine. I'm glad that you brought him up. Also makes an appearance in Ghost of the Abyss. Do you know he's an actual, like, seafaring guy yeah, or whatever? Yeah, he's James Cameron's technical buddy. And he was like, hey, can you be in my movie and play basically yourself? And he's like, all right, if you want me to mess up your movie, I'll do it. When he talks about the Geraldo incident, what is he talking about? So Geraldo, back in the 80s, uh, some workmen or construction workers uncovered a vault door. And they determined that this gigantic vault belonged to Al Capone. So Geraldo went around talk talking to everybody who would listen about how it was going to be this on-air spectacle untold riches in Al Capone's forgotten vault or abandoned vault. Dead bodies, maybe. That might be where he kept his, his victims. And they had a huge live special, and he opened it on air, and there was nothing inside. And Ooh, Bodine was right. His never career recovered. never recovered. Yep. No. <laughs> and I'm sure that Brock Lovett, with his nice little story, went back to shore in shame. All I'm saying is Rose was kind of a punk and uh, could have thrown him a bone because he took her down memory lane. Well, he could have give, given him the heart of the ocean. She got to have her little story and die and, and re revisit Jack and stuff. But she does in the alternate ending. What? She gives it to him in the alternate ending. I do not. I, I've never seen this. Really? Yep. 
there's a whole other ending that he shot. Okay. And they went with the the hard is not important ending. It wasn't. But it's strangely not satisfying the other way. I'm reminded of this single shot. It happens three times where they send up flares, the first distress flare, right? Titanic is going down and we're still in the scale of the ship. We're still in the ship. The ship is the whole world. And then the second flare they send up is a wider shot, like a mid-wide shot of the ship, the whole ship. And you can see it's obviously sinking and you're like, oh man. But boy, when they send that third flare up, when it's like oh. over Jack's face and you're out in the middle of, like it gives me chills. That huge ocean liner with thousands of people aboard where it's their whole world for about a week is completely alone in the middle of the Atlantic with no other light to be seen anywhere. It's terrifying. The first time, it's like kind of wondrous. You get that little girl's face and she's like, ah, fireworks. Right? Oh. And then the second time, it happens right above Jack's head. And it's yep. it, it's the light bulb. It's the literal light bulb that goes off in, in Rose where she decides, I'm not going to leave him. It like frames him like a halo and she like jumps for EDEC or whatever from the lifeboat, from the safety of the lifeboat. And then that last one, so powerful on so many levels. I'm just gushing. <laughs> and that's what we're doing. There's no possible way to cover this movie. This was a grand experience as a moviegoer in 1997 where you and I, it was only, there was no video on demand. Had to wait agonizingly for the DVD to come out on little, little tiny TVs and stuff. Uh, not even the DVD at the time. It was a double VHS release and a laser disc if you were rich where you still had to change the disc. Do you and, think anybody has not seen Titanic? Yes. Jason Quinn has never seen Titanic, celebrity chef Jason Quinn. And he said it was because he was a kid at the time, being only about 35 now, and hearing all these girls gush about Titanic and how excited they were. And he's like, no, I'm not doing that. Gabe Dupin, my friend from high school, had a theory that he was going to be the savior of the world because he hadn't seen Titanic. And he was convinced that there was some kind of like frequency or something programmed into the film so that once you've seen it, you're like converted into, you know, a drone or something like that. And I, in my wiles and my manipulation, made him watching Titanic my stipulation for agreeing to go with him to prom. Man. And see, you turned him to the dark side. He could have been a save, the savior of the world. And you debased him by making him see Titanic. <sighs> Gabe Dupin, I'm sorry. He would have been missing out. It was a wonderful cinematic experience, one of the most important of my young life, uh, you know, actually being around 21 at the time. And that's saying a lot because it is bigger and crazier and more rounded than Terminator 2, which was a defining moment in my life. It is the Best Picture Academy Award winner and the first Best Picture Academy Award winner to be produced, directed, written and edited by the same dude. And that dude is James Cameron. And there's a reason we saved Titanic for last. Thank you for subscribing to our podcast. I'm going to die happy and warm and old <laughs> in my bed. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time. Welcome to Transforming 45, the podcast that celebrates the incredible power of passionate voices. I'm your host, Lisa Boat. Join me in conversation with heart-led humans who share their deeply personal stories of transformation. Transforming 45 is here to uplift, connect, and remind you that it's never too late to write your next chapter. So get ready to be inspired, empowered, and transformed. Join me in this community where through powerful storytelling, we heal and reclaim our inherent magic. 
Electricast. Hi, I'm Mark. And I'm Peter. We're the founders of Electricast Media, bringing you great podcasts like Nightmare Road Stories, Tech Talk Revolution, and Bodacious Minds. Electricast networks include Ruby for female empowerment, the best business network, and GPN for geopolitics. We built this company to create community and amplify diverse voices, and we really appreciate your support. So keep listening to Electricast Podcasts and hear the culture. Electricast.